It's the Persistent and Nasty Podcast at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe 2023 series. The episodes will be released at various different times, so make sure that you have subscribed so you get notified when a new episode has dropped. We have some amazing guests coming up for you and I know that you won't want to miss them. They will be everything from circus performers to theatre makers to singers to spoken word poets and we can't wait to share all of them with you. Remember, if you are taking part in the Edinburgh Festival Fringe or you are just going for a visit, remember your rain jacket, your comfy shoes and a pair of shorts because you never know the weather that you're going to get in Edinburgh. But what you are guaranteed is some incredible pieces of theatre. Enjoy the episode and remember... Stay nasty. Hello you gorgeous lot and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty Podcast Edinburgh Edinburgh Festival Fringe Series 2023. I hope that you are keeping well looking after yourself, being kind to yourself and each other. Today's episode, I chat with Sophie Craig about her new show, I Love You, Now What? We discuss uh, the show, the creation of the show, the themes of the show. We talk about grief. We talk about how we deal with that when you're in a couple and it's affecting your partner. Uh, We talk about moving to London and being from a small town and your working class background and how vital and brilliant and important it is and how it really needs to be celebrated, especially in our industry. Um, We talk about what happens when you've had a really huge viral success online and then how you translate that into other work. Uh, Writing, it's a full episode, brilliant episode and I know that you are all going to really enjoy it. All of the details for um, I Love You Now What are in the show notes of today's episode. Remember to like, download, subscribe and review all the episodes. It really does make a huge difference and gets all of our incredible guests listened to by as many people as possible. You can also support us if you wish. You can become a persistent pal, a nasty hero, or you can just help us out with the price of a cup of coffee. Uh, All of this stuff is really important as it helps us to keep persistent and nasty going, the coffee morning going, the podcast going, the blog going, and our advocacy work. So to those of you who are already a persistent pal or a nasty hero, thank you so much. You are incredible and we love you very, very much. And we know things are tight for everybody. So any help that you can give us, is gratefully, truly gratefully received. So thank you. Remember to follow us on social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty. You can send us an email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com or you can check out the website www.persistentandnasty.com co.uk that's where you'll find all the information on how you can become a persistent pal or nasty hero sign up for the newsletter get the details of the coffee morning or how to be involved with our blog or for when we open back up the submissions for the podcast for the edinburgh festival fringe series 2023 
That is all on the website and you can find all of the details in today's show notes as well. You can follow Louise on social media. Louise is at Ms. Louise Oliver on Twitter and Instagram and I am at Elaine.Stirrit on Instagram and threads and Elaine at Elaine Stirrit on Twitter. Oh, for today's episode, I say something... Oh, I was going to say fruity because Sophie and I's chat's full of passion, but maybe it's a bit more fiery. So maybe something, I don't know, maybe something with a bit of aniseed in it. Uh, maybe something with a little bit of whiskey. Mm, spiced latte. It's the wrong time of year for that, but that's all right. Or, you know, you can always just have a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax and enjoy. So, yeah, yeah, London at the moment, so... Whereabouts in London are you? I live in South London in Bromley. In Bromley, um, right? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I moved down like when I was twenty-one, and then ended up meeting my husband down here, and then yeah, <laughs> and then obviously it's where my work is as well. Yeah, kind of. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. It's good. It's good. <laughs> How is it in London? Because obviously it was roasting last weekend. Yeah, it's been dead warm, but I was at a wedding last weekend in France. So Oh that lovely. Was, that, that was dead hot as well. So lovely. Yeah. It's been um rather warm up here too until like uh, 10 days ago and everybody had started moaning and now it's been basically like really clammy and humid mm. and really yeah, that's like, what it's gone to today. Yeah, a bit, bit miserable. I can't deal. I'm like, I've got too many um hormones going on in my body yeah. I'm like oh god it's too hot I can't <laughs> I'm rubbish in the heat I know anyway Sophie Craig welcome to the persistent and nasty podcast it's thank lovely to have you me. yeah no thank you for having me <laughs> um so let's do what we always do at the start of the podcast we do a little potted history of you Sophie and how you got to this point in your career what you brought you into this industry just let wax lyrical about yourself basically god wow okay um (laughs) I'm always really rubbish at this um I guess from a tiny little town up north that's important let's 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 talk about that yeah very very working class Barrow and Furnace god love it whoop whoop um shout out to Barrow um of the working classes like you know like the working class yes all about that um and then uh yeah I originally you know did I was always done a bit of dance and drama at school whatever um but I was a bit of a nerd um as well went to sixth form I ended up doing six A levels in the end um because I didn't know what I wanted to do um but uh, I applied for med school and then last minute pulled out and ended up going to drama school (laughs) um that's a shift a bit of a shift yeah um went to drama school and then moved down to London at 21 basically had every job under the bloody sun like any job you can think of I've probably done it um and then uh yeah just kind of started getting work here and there like signed by agents dropped by agents signed with some really shitty agents and it just yeah you just muddle through um I did a lot of anything and everything basically and then I started creating oh actually I was a production runner on a set um and I met a a girl on the set who was the the talent um I was the crew van driver so I was driving her around everywhere 
um and uh oh cast sorry van driver and then uh she was like you're funny and she was creating sketches online with her uh partner at the time um and she was like we should we should do some and i was like okay great so we started chatting after the production had finished we made a sketch it did really well and i was like oh okay well all right i'm just gonna bite the bullet and just start creating my own silly funny sketches online i did that and then carried on doing my acting work and whatever as well alongside it. And then BBC three reached out to me and were like, would you like to come in? We're doing a series called quickies. Um, so I went in and met them. And then I was like, do you know what? I'm going to bring my friend who got me into it, Johanna on board. And then uh, we created a sketch for them, wrote it, shot it, edited it, was in it. <laughs> and then it got like, millions and millions of views like 20 millions views like within a couple of days um and then we ended up doing eight so we got eight commissioned things with bbc3 and then from that i got a bit of a following so i just kind of carried on doing that and then um yeah and kind of things led on from one to the other and then yeah i've been acting for like 10 years been doing sort of the comedy uh kind of stuff for the last sort of five years done a few films this that and the other and then um yeah, I had a couple of things optioned. They're moving a bit too slow. So I took one of them back and I made it into a play. And that is how I love you now what kind of came about. So yeah. And <laughs> here a, we are. And here I am. I mean, that was really rubbish, but um No, it absolutely was not. I think it's so important, like that this is what I love about doing the podcast is hearing everybody's and I really hate the journey word, but I, I like, <laughs> you know, because it gets so overused, but hearing how everybody has ended up at the space that they're at right now mm -hmm. and all of the different jobs that we have to do as creatives, like, yeah. Every and, job under the sun. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't come from a, a background where you are financially able to you know live in London and not have to worry about getting a job and all of that kind of stuff like the that already puts you on the back foot yeah honestly my first job I moved down I had a job in a theatre set up sorry stop wrestling look at these two wrestling I know we've got two dogs in the background it's brilliant <laughs> Um, sorry if you can hear them wrestling. Oh, it's um, all right. Listen, don't worry. We, lo we love the we love the ambient noises on the podcast. We're all good. A little, little bit of ambiance. Um, and what we'll do is, we'll, if you're up for it, we'll put a little picture of the dogs uh, when we put it out on the social media. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll get them little stars that they are. She's currently sat on his head. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, had, I got a job in a theatre um, when I first moved down and also lined up what I thought was a singing gig um in a bar long story short turns out it was a brothel um and <laughs> uh yeah that is a whole other story but that was my second night in London I mean that's your next that's your next thing tv series honestly, whatever that is like it that. was it, honestly you yeah you couldn't make it up but turned out it was a brothel and that was my second night of living in London um yeah so uh yeah I, yeah every literally every job you can think of I mean I didn't do that I mean you know who do do what you want but it wasn't for me um yeah that was I've, I've had every job under the sun <laughs> so and I, yeah it's it's just that thing of it's so important to kind of go you know our skill set is so uh, versatile that we can adapt to so many different jobs because we're mm -hmm. used to doing so many different things 
And I always think it's really great for anyone who's training to hear it, that, you know, you're not just going to walk. Well, you know, maybe you might be super lucky and you walk out and you get like your stuff straight away, but that's not how it goes for most of us. No, it is Um, not. (laughs) I would love to kind of chat to you about that kind of idea of like, you know, moving from, as you said, like a working class town up north, north of England, down to London and probably like the culture shock of going to drama school. Oh yeah. So I um so I went to Manchester for drama school. Uh, at the time my mum had just had a baby. She had a baby when she was like 46. Um so I wanted to stay close to home. My granddad wasn't very well either. So I decided to not go to the London ones and uh stayed in Manchester. So that was all right. It was a kind of a gentle easing, I think, to London life. Drama school was fantastic, really intense, really hard work. Um but brilliant, but you are not equipped still. When they chuck you out, you are not equipped. Um, We did our showcase in London, and then I had a few offers from agents and then got an agent, settled on an agent in London, and then moved down on my own at 21 with a suitcase, got off the train and went straight to watch a little show that my friend was in, in like a pub, literally with my suitcase. And I stayed on my cousin's sofa for a few months um, whilst I figured everything out. Uh, doing promo work, um, working in a brothel by accident, and that I quit that. Uh, and then the theatre that I'd got the job in went dark. Um, so yeah, it was just really, really tough figuring it all out, and just the culture shock of how busy it was, how loud it was, how you arrive in the city all starry eyed, and literally, like you said, like yeah, this is it, I'm gonna do it, blah blah blah. And then it just, nobody spoke on the bus, which I thought was really odd. I remember getting on and going like, hi, can I have a return to the town hall, please? And they were like, just just tap your Royster card. I was like, but um, I need to get to, like, you can, it's fine. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a big old culture shock. It is, sure. it totally is actually like, you yeah. know, it's the bus. I didn't even think about that the first time because it's the same in Glasgow. Yeah, like, yeah. Like vocal just, and then you get off and you're like, thanks driver, all right. You yeah, know, yeah. And like, yeah, and it's really hard to like adjust to that, I guess. And yeah, you you do get sort of slapped in the face with like, this is reality. This is really expensive. I got a million parking tickets. I got scammed straight away because someone had stole my bank details. It's just like, it wasn't no. easy. yeah and do you know what I mean like my first experience of London was really difficult and then I moved in with some friends in a house share in Woolwich and it was the same day that the Lee Rigby thing happened around that same week and I was waitressing as well at the time so I couldn't go to that job because we got locked in for a bit then my ceiling fell in because it was so damp um so I could see like the sky so we stayed there for a bit but like and it, it, honestly it was just it, you can't make it up but I stayed and I cracked on and I carried on because I think I've always had this weird tenacity and like this need to sort of like prove myself. I don't know, I guess, because of where I'm from and because of my background and my upbringing. And um, it's probably like my most, like I, I hate it about myself, but also love it about myself at the same time that I, I will not stop. I will, I will keep going. Um, and yeah, and basically every time somebody said no, I went, okay, and not yet, and just cracked on, you know. Um, but yeah, the culture shift from small town to big city was scary. I hated it. I hated it for a long time. I was like, I'm going to go back north. I'm going to go back north. 
Um, and then it kind of just wore me down and I'm still here. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got you got into your kind of vibe of it. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. It took me a long time to find my feet, but we did, we got there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also you mentioned obviously about doing your first sketch. And I do love that thing of you know, working on a job. Um, and you're driving people about and uh, you and your now friend uh, start that conversation and it's just that in itself so part of our industry that kind of oh you know I just started chatting with them and we hit off and then you can you can kind of tell I think as a performer when you meet someone you're like oh yeah this is you've got that bit about you or you've got that about you and you can yeah figure it out um, and so that working relationship for both of you how was that when you first started? Brilliant. Like she's like my best friend. Like I'm in her house right now. Um, and she's gone, yeah, she's she's gone to go and do like an errand, and then we're just gonna help each other film some bits and pieces for our platforms this afternoon. Like, um, so we hit it off straight away. Obviously, she was content creating, but she was a trained actress as well. And then we were on the bus. Um and she was just like, Oh, you're an actor, and she's like, You're really funny. And I was like, Oh, thank you. Um, she was like why don't you just jump in a sketch? And then that was it. And I've always loved when women come together and they can just support each other and look after each other. And especially in sort of the, the comedy sort of circuit and in the, also the content creation sort of area. And this was before TikTok. So it was um, very male saturated. Um, the women that were in it, kept themselves to themselves because it was probably so male saturated and they didn't want to you know there were big fish then in a, in, a, in a small pond um so it was hard to find women that were willing to sort of go hey let me pull you up the ladder and I think that's always been mine and Jay's thing uh certainly my thing with everybody I work with and and with her as well like if I go one rung of the ladder I'm bringing you with me and then you know and vice versa like it's just um yeah so from from the get-go we, we worked really well together we're both like ADHD as well so we're like literally the with the best people to like sit and like fire ideas off and just when we've got an idea we just go um that's it we'll we're hyper focus on it and um yeah we just yeah we're very similar in in lots of ways so yeah that's great I, I, I love that and just that kind of conversation that you're talking about about it being really male-centric as well um because there's I think because of TikTok and probably the amount of female content producers now as yes, well because of yeah. TikTok that kind of makes people kind of go oh well it's probably always been like that no yeah never and it's great yeah. to see so many women coming up um now and sort of guys come on um they're really really going for it um and it's great to hear like see so many women coming up now and um sort of supporting each other more um um but like yeah it definitely wasn't the case back in the day hang on I am gonna have to shut them up because they're really loud sorry, <laughs> don't worry. guys 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 oh Oh my goodness. They're probably they're probably gonna come back in and hear and wrestle again, but anyway. don't worry. You're absolutely <laughs> fine. Don't worry. No, don't worry at um, all. Where were we? Oh, TikTok. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah, so yeah, uh, I think TikTok is great for allowing sort of, it is a platform now where anybody can come on, create content and yeah, it doesn't matter where you're from, but there definitely was uh, a hostility towards women. And I think there still is in the comedy circuit. I think there still is in the industry in general. You know, I think with age, uh, the way you look, you have to look a certain way to be this. You have to look a certain way to be funny or deemed as funny. Um, you know, you, it, it's it's like so many times I've had people contact and be like, you can't do this and then be this. Or like, you, uh, if you'd be, you'd be pretty if you didn't pull such ugly faces. Or if you posted a photo where you think, oh, I look, I look, quite, I look quite sexy on there. You know, they'll be like, you can't be sexy and funny. Pick one. Like, or, you know, or women aren't funny. Or you're funny for a girl. Or it's just like, yeah, why? It's the narrative still hasn't changed. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of work to do. That's where I named my comedy platform she's not funny I was like mate I'm gonna use that um but it is great to see so many more women coming up in the online world for sure mm-hmm. um and using it as a platform and creating their own content like again creating their own content to bang down doors that previously you probably wouldn't have even be able to have got close to even knock on uh in the past so yeah just um because obviously you've mentioned about the comments and things like that when you first had that a uh, your viral um uh, mm-hmm sketch um online how did that feel how did you navigate the because that's really I like it's really hard um you know we've had it's persistent and nasty we've had some like in the past some really horrible stuff um from men um and it's just there's it's it's really hard to separate it as well but how do you manage that I don't know you know I think because I've always created content from a place of I just love it and I'm proud of it and I'm going to pop it out I've never really paid too much attention to how it performs or how it does sometimes like um, and I've never really and I've been really good at being able to like not sit and look through comments or get too het up on it um, some days if you catch me on a bad day I will reply something a little bit sassy or you know um, or I'll just block it half the time now if there is anything that does come through um, the first sketch did really really well um, and then I don't really I don't really remember anything negative on that but the one that really sort of set uh, like my sort of career off in the comedy was the BBC3 stuff that uh, Jan and I did um, but the first sketch that we did was men in white vans (laughs) like so we were dressed as builders um and we were catcalling men from the van um and as you can imagine that got a lot of backlash from men um you know uh I I get it now I did two sketches doing like living with a woman and I did one living with a man the women's sketches were really brilliantly received women were like this is hilarious this is so funny this is me and then when I did the male one, it was like, uh, the I get abuse on that still. Like, you know, because every now and then it must just still be being seen and watched somewhere. And it's just men really angry and they have a problem with me portraying a stereotype of, of a man. And it's done in comedy. It's not me ripping. I love men, you know, they're great. But um, it's just comedy. Um, and what's funny is it's acceptable for them to watch men on television for years and years and years portray women and stereotypes of women. Um, you know, like 
Little Britain or like even the, you know, like White Chicks, the film White Chicks or Mrs. Doubtfire or, you know, you've got all these amazing comedians that have male comedians that send women up or you have to just watch stand up comedy. And there is always a bit about how their wife is this and this, this and this. Or and the mother-in-law. The mother-in-law. Mother yeah. And it's hilarious as a woman. I'm like, that's funny. And I can see the, the humor in it because it's just observations of the human condition. But the only people that seem to have a problem with it is when uh, the people that seem to have a problem when it's flipped and a woman does it about a male, but not in a way that's negative. It's just an observation. And there is a real problem with it. And it that baffles me. Um, oh, it's total misogyny. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it really... Sorry, everyone, I've got yeah. hay fever throat today. Oh, babe. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> just constantly try to clear it. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, to it's total misogyny, isn't it? It's just, and it's yeah. like, it's the fact that they don't even recognise it, though. No, it's not recognised. So, yeah, in terms of the comments and stuff now, yeah, I've had really nasty stuff. There was one particularly that really upset me once when my dad was ill, uh, somebody took the time to be like I can't even repeat it it was just so fucking disgusting um, and that was the only time I think a comment has really upset me and offended me not even offended me just it was just pure evil um, um, but other than that I just use it as um, as uh, material now <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 exactly it's that so. thing with social media isn't it it's like it's so brilliant in so many ways and then it's so absolutely awful and like we can't ever shut it now it's pandora's box it's open we're done like that's it it's never mm -hmm. going away but it's also these people that will say stuff like that like that you just said that's just so vile that they would never say to your face but no. for some reason they think that because they're behind a, a keyboard that it's like it's acceptable and it's all right yeah it's a weird culture isn't it it's like oh you chose to do this so therefore this is you, you have to you have to put up with this and it's like no I, I didn't I don't have to put up with this at all actually what a weird entitled view you have of yourself like yeah so <laughs> exactly exactly tell everybody where they can find your uh, online content Sophie gosh um are you across all of them yeah, pretty much. So Facebook is my biggest platform because that's when I started as a little dinosaur starting then. Um, and that's uh, Sophie Craig uh, or at She's Not Funny. Uh, my comedy page is at She's Not Funny on Instagram and on TikTok. It's at She's Not Funny TikTok. And then I have my own page uh, on Instagram, which is at It's Sophie Craig as well. So and that's for anything that's other than comedy, because one day I would like to make it into a platform to celebrate funny women. I can take a bit of a step back from she's not funny and just use it. So amazing. Yeah. Put amazing. funny women out there. Um, I'll <laughs> link all of them in uh, today's show notes as well. So um, don't worry, everybody, they will be. <laughs> we'll be there for you to find. Now, let's talk about your Edinburgh Festival show. Um, I love you now what? Yes. Uh, so ch chat about the story of how this came about uh, and how you've got yourself to the festival. Oh, so yeah, I love you now. What um came from sort of me writing about some. It's based. Uh, it's inspired by my story, shall I say? Um, so back in twenty eighteen, my dad was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer, um, and sort of you know he had the operation sort of try and give him a bit more time and normally you would sort of have a bit of the tumor removed they'd give you a little bit more time because if you don't have the op within two 
three months you you would you would you would die um but uh he actually ended up having a stroke on the operating table so that quality of life that he could have got that extra few months or whatever extra year maybe um he did he he got more time but he didn't get that quality of life so there was no such thing as doing bucket lists or anything like that I mean we tried as our, our very best but we now had a disabled disabled dad um and then the impact that that had on my relationship at the time um was massive now obviously grief is like a huge thing that everybody is going to go through it is the consequence of loving someone it is just that is the collateral that comes with love it's grief but nobody a nobody talks about grief massively but b nobody talks about the impact it has on your intimate personal relationship with your partner um, um so uh that was that um and but that came from so i was on the set uh, of a TV show um, and I got chatting to somebody about a TV series that I was writing and they're like, great, send it in to the production company. Um, I was like, okay, great. Ended up getting optioned. That was great. Um, and then I ended up taking that back from that and then uh, showed it somebody else. And they were like, I love this idea. It's called Bumped, that series. But I really like this little B story of what was Ava and Theo. Um, is there anything we could explore with that? And then that was where I'd, so then I came up with the idea of I love you now what? And then that got optioned and that was great, but then nothing kind of happened with it. And I said, look, can I take it back? Um, me being me, I was tired of waiting around, waiting for other people to do things. I just was like, I'm gonna I'm do this myself. If If people won't see what I'm doing and, how hard I work and what I can do, I'll make people see me. So I took it back and I made it into a play. And then I was like, I'm gonna put this on. I was like, I'm gonna put this on. I was like, I don't know the first thing about it. I've been doing TV and film for the last few years and then comedy, I was like, ah, but I'm gonna do this. I trained in stage. Um, so then I applied for ACE, didn't get it. Um, and then my friend messaged me and was like, oh, the Pleasants have like a new writing festival. You should just send your play to that. And I literally sent it with, within 10 minutes of the deadline and that was the only place I sent it anyway that ended up getting accepted and I was like oh, okay amazing um great like and again because I had no sort of expectation my friend was like that's amazing like that's really good like I was like oh okay then I met recreate and they helped me with everything and uh we got funding for it so that was brilliant and then it went on sale and obviously I spoke about it online and people were aware of it. And then suddenly it sold out very, very quickly, way before even we got into the new year and the show was on in the April. Um, so then the Pleasants uh, was like, would you like to take it to Edinburgh? We'd, we'd like to take it to Edinburgh if, if you would. And I was like, okay, it hasn't crossed my mind, but okay. So I said to Emily and Reese who at Recreate, I was like, can I take it to Edinburgh? And they were like, we're taking two, go on then, let's take a third. So now then it was in Edinburgh and I was like, okay, great, we went to Edinburgh, which is really odd. I went on my own last year for the first time to the Fringe just to oh, watch it. Yeah, yeah, just to watch it. And I was in, and I, I just said to myself, I said, I'm going to have a show here. And then little did I know the next year, there it was. Um, so yeah, that happened. And then just before 
a week before we opened in the London, uh, London for the, the first previews, uh, we got moved to the main stage, <laughs> which has never happened before. Um, so that was crazy trying to figure all that out and configure it. And suddenly this tiny little intimate setting that was in a shipping container, we were like, oh God, okay, it's a lot bigger. Um, yeah, and then we did that. And yeah, now we're off to the fringe and there's already some little conversations going on about its future and where it's going to go next. So yeah, just fingers crossed. Uh, but yeah, it just, no, no real plans. It just kind of all, it's kind of all happened. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? Like our industry, these things can just all of a sudden snowball really quickly. And you're like, how am I here? When yeah. also in the same breath, you could have been working on something for a really long time. You're like, oh, that one's never getting anywhere, like you say. And then someone just picks a tiny bit and goes, yeah, but here's the bit that we want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, about having stuff optioned and about things not moving forward. And, and it just so happens this week, I've had a couple of other conversations with people who are adapting stuff for screen and other people who are making short films and are looking to make their feature and the kind of, and, and then all the conversation of television and the slow process of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's and uh... how long it's like years. And I think, I think part of it is creative, especially when you're a freelancer. Yours is not an option for us. No, like, no. It's like we need to know what's happening now because it's feast or famine. So I can't be thinking about five years down the line. Like even a year down the line feels like absolutely, absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah. And and that's it. And I think coming from doing like sort of the online stuff as well, everything's really quick. You have to do quick reactive content and you've got to churn it out and yeah, I'm just so used to sort of working alone and quickly um, that, yeah, it is it is a bit of a shock. But yeah, so that's why I was like, right, I'm just, I'm gonna do it myself. And then it wasn't until I took control that things have started to move, I guess, in, in an exciting direction. But I, I, I don't know, it, it's all led on from one thing. I think just doing that first sketch wouldn't have got me the BBC thing. The BBC thing wouldn't have got me a good agent at the time. <laughs> um I'm still looking for a good agent now um but then at the time and then I got a little job on a tv after that and then that conversation from that was what got that option and that option was what it, every single thing has led to this point right now and in hindsight it just it was all like oh, what's going on I mean sorry at the time it's what's going on but in hindsight yeah sorry it's it's all kind of like had a little ripple effect yeah sorry to um so are you unrepresented I am right now, yes. <laughs> I mean, that in itself, I, again, just for everyone listening, and there'll be so many people who resonate with that mm -hmm. about, you know, having an agent and things don't work out and actually sometimes you are better off on your own. You know, yeah, I had a really good agent when I first moved down, but I was doing musical theatre and it just, I didn't want to do it. I very quickly realised that wasn't what I wanted to do. Then I went with another agent who ended up not being great. Uh, then I got with an agency that actually scammed me <laughs> like and it, honestly I, I but it was just my own naivety I didn't understand it and you know um and then I had a, a lovely agent for, for a little while but then they moved on uh to another agency and then actually uh, on the week of my show um my previews in April I, I I left my agent as well because I just was like this isn't right it doesn't feel right um the communication hadn't been great, um, you know, and 
I just was like, doesn't feel right. Okay. I think it, again, I guess it was like, it was a bit scary as you probably know, like just suddenly going, Oh, all right, nobody, but it's very quiet. There's a writer's strike on at the moment. Like I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be in the best sort of platform in the world in a few months. Like, let's just go in clean slate. This is just me and let's see what happens. And yeah, that's kind of what, what I've done. I was like, well, now's the time to sort of fly and, and let myself be open up to any other opportunities. And yeah, there's no point sort of staying with an agent that isn't sometimes there that isn't doing what you need them to do or, you know, and sometimes you're better off. Yeah. Not having one. And it's terrifying, but actually quite freeing until you know the right agents coming along and I know they're going to come along and it'll be fine but yeah it's a it's a tough old time especially at the moment with the pandemic and then yeah. the economic crisis and then the writer's strike everything's quiet it's not yeah. a good time to be an actor so that's why you've got to create yeah. your own stuff <laughs> yeah and especially as well like um because obviously SAG-AFTRA voted um to go on yeah. strike as well like and you know I am all for unions like absolutely join a union join a union um up the workers Absolutely. uh you know like 97.7 percent voted yes for sag after which is huge yeah so anything kind of with the big american platforms is going to be quiet for the next wee mm-hmm. while until they kind of realize that you know their time making billions off people is <laughs> <laughs> maybe just spread some of that billions about and then everybody will just get back to work guys yeah absolutely. Um, and then it'll be fine but i think it's something really important that you said there about um feeling it and I think we're we're told all the time, you know, always think things be logical and everything. And as you grow up, you kind of lose your trust in your gut a little bit, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, drama schools, depending on where you went, can make you kind of question that. Yeah. And then, like, you know, moments in your life can make you question that. Um, but it's so important to trust your gut. And so, like, I'm really glad that you've mentioned that because I think it's, it's one of those ones that's yeah if it doesn't feel right it isn't right yeah I, don't get me wrong I'm like sometimes I'm like yeah no I'm, I'm it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine and then sometimes the next day I'm like oh my god what have I done like uh do you know and it's it I mean being a performer it is like this anyway you know one minute you're like I'm great and the next minute you've got serious imposter syndrome and then the next minute you're like oh I'm gonna quit and do something else like you know I I, I I'm ready to quit at least three times a year <laughs> at least <laughs> so nah, yeah. it's, it's, at the moment it's like a weekly occurrence <laughs> yeah I'd say three it's like three times a week but yeah yeah um but it's like I want to say to you trust your gut because you've done the right thing because if it didn't feel right it wasn't right so when you have those moments of oh my god what have I done just remember how that feeling felt that goes for anybody that's listening yeah yeah thank you (laughs) Um, can you give us a little summary of um I love you now what for the listeners yeah so I love you now what it is it's really fucking funny (laughs) if I can say that (laughs) Um, it's... you absolutely can say that, and I love that. I was just taking a mouthful of tea as you said it. <laughs> um, but it is heartbreakingly raw. Um, it's real. It's very human, but laced with humor, bit of dark humor. But um, yeah, and it is about like it sort of it questions: Can love survive when someone dies? And, you know, and it's all wrapped into like an hour. It is very quick, very fast paced. Like it could easily have been a lot, lot longer. 
Um, and actually that was some of the feedback that we got. It was like, oh, we wanted it to be longer. Um, I've only got an hour, guys. Um, but it is just the journey of when Ava meets Theo, uh, her new love interest, and things hit off. Um, it's brilliantly chaotic. And then, um, boom, her dad gets a diagnosis, his diagnosis and then passes away. And then it just is an intimate look at the impact that the grief has on hers and Theo's relationship. And it's about her journey. Um, you know, it's not about her mom. It's not about her brother. It's not about her journey as a family. It is looking at her intimate relationship with this guy that's just been thrown into it and didn't ask for any of this, but suddenly has found himself being the crutch to support Ava through grief um, and a really heavy grief as well. Um, and yeah, and it just looks at lots of different things that I'm sure anybody that's ever loved or lost anyone can relate to. Um, and yeah, it's just a little bit of their story. Um, I think hopefully they'll take away hope from it. Um, uh, hopefully they'll have a good laugh, a good cry, and just sort of a powerful reminder to sort of cherish those people that you do have and that grief is just proof that you loved and that's what's really beautiful and I think if you can try and think of it in that way and also it looks at sort of therapy as well as a tool um you know I lost my dad and I, I didn't have therapy at all and I wish I had done and it wasn't until two years later when things really hit the fan like in an elongated timeline obviously in the play it all happens very quickly but in terms of it for me it's the second year was when it just went and exploded in my face um so yeah I think yeah hopefully um I'll use a quote somebody said uh they wet themselves with laughter and soak themselves crying and hopefully that's kind of what you take away from from the show <laughs> and it's at 3 35 so you can grab a wine after <laughs> yeah, exactly I, lo I love that I love that quote and I think like what you were saying earlier about you know we don't talk about grief enough and we definitely don't um mm as a society in whole we do not talk about grief enough and you know all of us will experience it at some point in our lives like mm -hmm. that is as you say is it's the human condition if you love you will like you will experience varieties of the forms of grief that they come depending yeah. on your relationships um and it's kind of it's so important that we platform it but with I think with humor and it's so interesting I've had a few conversations with people already about um grief but sitting alongside humor because we we really hold both of them together at the same time literally I think it is it's a coping mechanism for sure and also anybody that's lost somebody will be able to relate to this your sense of humor becomes really weird and really fucking dark and um there's a line in it that Ava says where, you know, Theo's saying like, no, you need to do this, you need to do this. And she goes, no, I don't. My dad's dead. And like, and it is like, a, oh, it's that moment. But then it's like, a, it's an awkward, oh, but it, that is just how it comes. And I think what we're so, because we're so afraid of talking about it, there's like a weird expectation that there is a certain way you have to behave when you lose somebody or when you are grieving. But actually, you know, on the day of my dad's funeral, there was an organ player that just went, absolutely friggin' mental on the organ and everyone was pissing themselves it was hilarious we went home and we all had a good laugh and there was guilt there I felt guilty for it but then you know the opposite of sadness is happiness 
But humor is a tool that we can use on our journey back to happiness again. So never ever be afraid of comedy and humor and 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 that kind of is a very very real part of trauma. Um, and I think that's just what we wanted. I wanted to show, and I wanted to show it in a raw way, in a working class way, in a way that everybody can take something from it. And it just is really down to worth, like no bullshit. And I think that's what I love you now what is, I hope. <laughs> um, I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing it um, for the wetting myself laughing and the soaking myself. I mean, I hope so. I mean, I'm like, I've oversold it. Maybe you'll come and be like, oh my God, what was that? Um, <laughs> but I do also, you know, you mentioned it from a really working class way, and I think that's so, so super important. Um, because again, in our society the versions of grief that we see aren't always the versions of grief that you know I tell you what our little town as rough as it is is the community there is incredible um my dad was a big sort of into like the the football um you know he was a manager at the local football club um he had a lot of friends and on the day of his funeral there was over a thousand people that turned up at the church and that just, you, you couldn't fit in the church. So there was hundreds of people stood outside it. And that just sense of community of that working, of working class people is just something it, 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 uh, no, you, you don't experience it unless you've come from that place, unless your neighbours have made you food parcels, unless, you know, you've you've spent like your whole summer next door with Sylvia, like whilst your mum's at work, like, you know, uh, it, it is just so heartwarming and there is no, nothing more powerful than, I, I don't know, I, I, I love it, I love where I'm from and it is rough as houses, but I love it and I love the people and yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you, you know what I yeah. mean, but it's yeah. just, wow. And that kind of thing of like, but there's an authenticity with it, right? It's There's no pretension. None, none whatsoever. And I think that's what it is. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no making it. It's just genuine. Yeah. 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 And you're not trying to make it more palatable for somebody that doesn't get it. It's right there. And if you want to embrace it, you're welcomed in with open arms. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a really, and I get, but then also in the same breath, grief affects us all, no matter which class you're in and um, however you, wherever you're from the world, whatever gender you are, um, it affects us all. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I think that's what's lovely about I Love You Now What. It is everyone from anywhere can take something from it, um, you know, and it isn't just catered for people that you know like it like might be more like not working class it is it, because it is just raw and human it is like I think it can speak to everyone and that's then you know and, and I hope I hope it does I really hope it does like from all walks of life like yeah it's just accessible I think I hope so yeah I well as I say I'm very much looking forward to seeing it so <laughs> let's remind everybody they can see it at the Pleasance Courtyard yes. um at three did you say 345 335 oh which is a lovely time very precise but yes that is a lovely little time isn't it just before all the big acts go on so I can go and watch them after <laughs> yeah but it's also great it doesn't mean you need to get up really early either I know I know I know which is a joy of joy and um you're on so I've got your dates down here so you're on from the 2nd to the 13th off the 14th and then oh basically you're the whole way through from the 2nd to the 28th but off 
the 14th and 21st. That's correct. Yes. Um, yeah. And then we've got the lovely Andy and Mariah playing Theo and Sean McLeavy playing uh, dad slash John. So, yeah. Dad slash John. Dad slash John. We can only get three up there. It's head of a fringe. It's ever so expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's let's have another conversation about <laughs> how we're closing people out of it because it's so damn expensive. But anyway, I'll, <laughs> I'll rein that one right back in. Um, Sophie, before we finish up, we like to ask everybody a question. And um, so we're called Persistent and Nasty, uh, obviously. And it comes from two kind of quotes. Uh, happen to be American just at the time when we were setting up Persistent and Nasty, they really resonated. So one of them is about Elizabeth Warren, nevertheless, she persisted. The other is about reclaiming words, because we're all about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the words that gets used against women in particular to keep oh, us... don't get me started on the C word. I could go on all day about that. If you want, you can say it. All right, I'm going to say it, Can That is a woman, a, a word we should be reclaiming. If you look into the origins of it, it's not vagina means where a male stores it's like sword is scabbard so that's already male that's male owned it's the only word that it describes the entire thing not like biologically not like anatomically it came from the word queen cunning clever like we need to be reclaiming that word like that is not a nasty word it was never originally profanity and it's one of the oldest words in the english language thank you that's in the play <laughs> it's in the play love it. i love that i love it um, so yeah, we're all about the reclaiming <laughs> of it all. Um, and um, nasty was used against uh, Hillary Clinton by the previous president of the United States when she dared to give him facts when they were running against each other in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was the Twitter storm of hashtag nasty women, like from CEOs and surgeons and all that. So that idea of like calling a woman nasty is like, I don't want to be called nasty. I can't possibly be nasty when actually nasty isn't anything bad so Sophie Craig what does the phrase persistent and nasty mean to you oh what it is to be a hard working powerful talented tenacious woman that's it love fabulous (laughs) everyone should be persistent and nasty yes (laughs) <laughs> yes you should um Sophie I love it thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today it's been really lovely um talking about your show and your um, pathway because I hate the journey word but you know we all use it but you're you're a uh, yeah your pathway to this point and um, I'm really looking forward to coming to see I love you now what thank you so much for having me sorry if I talked too much but <laughs> never apologize for talking too much I love it love it love it that's like the most <laughs> ideal podcast guest <laughs> oh that's okay then (laughs) absolutely um yes thank you so much and until next time lovely listeners stay Stay nasty nasty.